0: If you want to you can either follow with me on the screen or on your phone or in your Bible as we read from 2nd Timothy 2 verses 1 through 7 <clears throat> so follow along you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus of Christ Jesus No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I forgot my computer. So this, what, what uh, we're going to talk about today is, is Paul's last letter to Timothy. About four years older, earlier, he had written a, another letter to Timothy. Timothy had gone um, on a, the Paul's first missionary journey, or Paul's second missionary journey. Timothy accompanied him. And here we are about 15 years later, where Paul is writing this letter to uh, to Timothy. And we know that uh, from the things that Paul says in the letter, he knows that this is the end. Uh, we're going to see here in a minute that this is a deeply personal le- letter to a faithful companion. And so Paul's writing to Timothy as a, almost a father, not only a father in the faith, but a a, a, a friend, a deep a deep friend. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy in Ephesus to provide him encouragement and fortitude in the face of difficulties and trials. Paul knows the the end is near. He also has experienced a life of of trials and and knows that everyone needs encouragement. At this time in uh, in Paul's life, the Christians had become uh, an easy target for, for Nero, who is, who is facing a lot of criticism because of the way that the, the, was, was the fire destroyed Jerusalem, that, or Rome, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, there was a lot of criticism, so they began to attack the easy subjects, the Christians. Um, and in this letter, Paul is giving Timothy kind of a state of the church. He, as he's going to pass the baton to Timothy and others, he's saying this is where the church is right now. Um, and he updates Timothy on some of how their acquaintances are doing. Some of them have, uh, have turned on Paul. Some have been supportive. So he gives him the, uh, it's kind of the state of the church. And what's really interesting in this, in the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this. He said, uh, he encouraged Timothy, fight the good fight. And as we go to Second Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight, which is very interesting. So if we, if, you look, if we look back, if we go on and we look at the, at, at the start of 1 Timothy, we can see this personal nature here. Let me just read to you. This is from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 1-5. This is the start of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my brother, beloved child. He mentions, he mentions that Timothy is his child several times. That's this relationship that he had with Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And then you can see the personal nature here. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. This personal relationship that Paul had with Timothy. And so what we're going to see here is get a glimpse of Paul's heart as he, as he knows that he's going to die, and he's passing it on to um, the next generation of leaders, and Timothy being one of those. So you can see on the screen, we, 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 this is what we read, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1-7, through and that's what we're going to walk through it just quickly this morning. First of all, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we see here again that Paul's reference to Timothy as a child, that relationship. He says, but this is very important. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The task that we're going to talk about today is so daunting we can never do it on our own strength. In fact, uh, I think Paul is recognizing that nothing you you do in this Christian life, we can do it really on our, with our own strength. And he's saying here, uh, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, we all know that the importance of grace in our lives, that, that it's it's something that God gives freely to us. And what's interesting here is Paul is saying this to Timothy. He uh he, he reminds us earlier, we didn't read it, that this grace that comes through Jesus Christ was given to us before creation. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 9-10, says this, and I'm, I kind of cut some out of there for, to, to make it a little briefer. Uh, about, it's talking about, here about the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. What he's saying, this grace that we need, the strength that we get from the grace of God, God actually gave it to us before creation, before the, the, the creation of the earth or, or anyone. And, and, uh, it says, in, in, "...in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." So when he says, "...be strong, Timothy," In the, in the strength of God's grace, he's, he's telling us something that come, this grace comes through Jesus Christ and God gave it to us before even creation happened. Verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or That's verse 1. And then verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me read that again. So he's saying, Timothy, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is critical. In 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 14, Paul says this. He says this, uh, so this is uh, chapter one. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. He's telling Timothy this in the faith and love that are in christ jesus by the holy spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted in you so here you can see in verse in chapter one and chapter two he says the same things he says uh, uh, that we are to think about the words that T- timothy's to think about the words that paul had um, that paul that timothy heard from paul okay so he's there's this relationship so Timothy is to, to, we're going to find out later, he's telling him to think on these things, but what what Paul is saying to him, look, I've I've built into you, I've taught you things, and those things that I've taught you, that you need to to hold on and hold fast to these things. We're not going to get to chapter 4 today, but in chapter 4 we read about how many people have turned from the true gospel. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you you can't stray from the things that I've taught you. Okay, we know that Paul authored uh, much of the, of the New Testament. Um, so here we have that uh, Paul saying to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Now entrusting means to uh, make a deposit. That He says that, you know, the, uh, what I've taught you, I expect you then to uh, teach others. I'm entrusting you and you, in, in, in the future, will entrust others with that, that which I have given you. Those sound words that I taught you, you need to transfer those to other people. Uh, and, and this is really interesting to me. As, as, as We've talked about this. I was involved in, in, in college ministries through college and in evangelism and discipleship ministries. We talked a lot about this principle of, of, of giving, passing it on. But truly, if you you look at the text closely here, we see five generations uh, in this. Paul speaks in 2 Timothy about um, the fact that he, Paul, received this, this, he was entrusted by Christ himself. He called Paul to be a pastor and an apostle. And then Paul says to Timothy, I'm entrusting you who will entrust others, who will will entrust it to others also. Um, I mean, I think I heard it in 2 Timothy 1, uh, 1 12. You see, this is when Paul says this. He says, which is, verses verse 11 or verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I, have, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Okay, he's talking here about Christ. So Christ is entrusted to Paul. Paul then is entrusting to Timothy. Who Paul's expecting to entrust to faithful men who will who will take this gospel to the to the world around us. So on the screen you can see is what I call the biblical strategy for discipleship. This is what this is what we know you've probably this is probably not new to you, but we have to rethink it, we have to think through this often to make sure that it's in our hearts and that we can move forward with it. So look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that's on the screen. And Jesus came and said to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's really, that's our mission. If we want to say, what are we supposed to be doing today? It's making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if you think about, okay, what should we be doing as a church? What should we be doing as believers? We can go back to this, making disciples of all nations. So you can hear, you can see on the the arrow there on the screen that uh, Jesus entrusted Paul, who entrusted Timothy. And and Paul said to Timothy uh, that he should entrust this to faithful men who will then teach others also. And then the implication is, those others would follow this same process. That's really what we're talking about today, and that's really what I would hope for, that will be the focus of what we're, we're doing this morning. Uh, if you, the, on the screen it says, we are to identify, train, and support others who will faithfully carry out the Great Commission. That's what we're all about. We talk about adding people to the church, but really the biblical message is that we multiply. We multiply as each one of us begins to carry out this mission of, uh, of identifying, training, and supporting those who would go out. We entrust faithful people with the gospel, and that's how we change the world. That's how we change the world. It seems easy, but it's not, it, but we we know it to be true, but carrying it out sometimes is difficult for us. In 1963, um, Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. How many of you in your life have read that before? Looks like a few people in here. So 1963, I read this when I was in college in, in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm dating myself. I read it as a church leader in one of my first churches. It was published in 63. It sold three and a half million copies. There's hardly a Christian book ever besides the Bible that has sold three and a half million copies. So this is a major work in Christianity. But the book is, is, is amazing because what Robert Coleman does is he asks one simple question. What was the evangelism strategy of Jesus Christ? So in this book, he didn't look at the latest techniques. He didn't go anywhere. He looked at the four Gospels, and he, he looked at what did Jesus do on a daily basis, and, that's, and he, he cre- uh, categorized that as the, the master plan of evangelism. It's an amazing book. Let me just uh, kind of walk you through um, what it's all about. So Robert Coleman, he, he, he came up with these different categories, and I'm just going to speed, speed talk through them, because, but I think it gives you an idea of, of how this process worked. He, uh, Coleman said that the first method Jesus used was to win the world was choose average men who were teachable, honest, and willing to confess their need. So he selected people. He associated with them. The essence of Jesus' training program was to be with them and let them follow him. So if we're going to be great disciples or great disciples, we need to uh, be willing to associate with people and allow them to, to be with us, to learn from us. Consecration. Jesus valued loyalty before intelligence, a willingness to obey, to count the cost and pay the price was the very means by which they learned more truth. He was looking for people that were willing to lay their life aside for this for this mission. Impartation. Jesus Jesus gave away all that he had to his disciples, including his peace, his joy, the keys to the kingdom, his glory, and eventually even his life. He was willing to impart what he had to those uh, disciples that he had called. Demonstration. Jesus demonstrated for his disciples uh, how to live, including how to pray, how to use scripture, and how to win souls. So they were able to watch him on a day-to-day basis how he went about this process. Delegation. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his disciples did little more than follow him and observe him. But towards the end, Jesus began to push them out of the nest, so to speak. As they learned and grew and became uh, more gifted in the ways of, 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 of this process, he sent them out. You remember Jesus sent them out to go encounter the world. And he supervised them. He, his, Jesus' interactions with his disciples involved a dynamic interplay of instructions and assignments. And finally, Jesus' strategy was to produce disciples who would reproduce. His goal here was to produce his disciples who would eventually would reproduce themselves and others, who would then reproduce themselves and others. And that is the master plan of evangelism. And that's exactly what second timothy or paul's saying in second timothy 2 here is that look timothy i've entrusted things to this to you and now you are to find others that you can entrust it to who will do the same thing that's the plan that's that's the that's the multiplication within the church and i and that's what i would hope that we would we could focus on as we start a new year here at Mercy Hill, and and there's churches all through this community, we all need to be doing the same thing. You know, people always say, oh, there's too many churches in this town. Actually, not. If we filled up every church to its capacity, there would be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are unchurched with no place to go. There's a lot of room to grow, and we need to do that following uh, the the ways that God has, has told us through 2 Timothy. Okay, let's move on. Uh, verse 3. Verse 3, as, he, as, he, he, as Paul finishes his admonition to Timothy about uh, this method or the strategy of evangelizing and discipling the world, he says this in, in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Wow, that was a, that's a kind of a mood killer, isn't it? You know, where you, you just had this great thing about evangelism and discipleship and then he says, but, but Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And you know, I, I was reading this and I, I was reminded that if we're, if we're actually going to be able to share in suffering as a good soldier, we must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He talks about uh, a couple of verses above. If we, if we don't have our strength in the grace of, of Jesus Christ, how can we suffer for Christ Jesus and do it faithfully? Uh, you know, Paul was suffering in prison at this time, uh, and he expected Timothy uh, should also be willing to suffer for the faith. Um, he had already mentioned in, the, in this uh, suffering twice, 2 Timothy 1.8 and, and 1.12. And we will also mention it three more times in this brief letter to Timothy. Paul mentions in 2 Timothy being forgotten and sometimes maligned by those he thought were his friends. We're all, I, I think it would be wrong to say that we're all would suffer in the same way. But really, suffering at the, at the bottom, you know one part of it is that it, 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 it's something that causes causes anguish or to um, something we're not happy about. Okay, so when we talk about suffering, some people suffer. We know that people, Christians across the world, suffer with their lives. There's pain. Others, it's, we suffer inconveniences. It's the, you know, I, I, was, I was kind of walking through this with my wife yesterday, and, and we are talking about how maybe staying in a job you don't want because God wants you there to, to support somebody. It's, it's, it's choosing the kingdom over what we want. It's, it's this, this idea that, that uh, we take on hardships. So share in suffering. Other, throughout Scripture we hear, endure hardship as a good soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not the message we want to hear, but I think as, as we're willing to take that on, I'm willing to share in the suffering as a good soldier, it opens a new door and, and allows God to use us in ways that we, we have no, uh, we can't even imagine. In verse four, no soldier. So so he, he, in verse three, he says, you know, be willing to share in suffering as a good soldier. And then in verse four, five, and six, Paul tells Timothy. He gives him some examples um, about ways to think about suffering. And then this—I've thought about this for the last couple of weeks. These, these, and, and Paul said it in a way that either that Timothy would understand this. And some, and, I, and I had to really think through it. And, and hopefully, it will mean something to you also. Uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. His first example. To Timothy here is, when he's talking about suffering, is no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who entrusted him, or enlisted him. Next, he gives the example of the athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then in verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. If you think of it, it's 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 interesting the way that that Paul would use these examples to to demonstrate suffering. Um, Soldiers must maintain single-mindedness, focus on their task, and know what matters most. So if we're going to suffer as a good soldier in the kingdom, we need to be like a soldier. We we. Maintain our single-mindedness that we we are we're we're singly focused on what God has called us to do, that we can focus on that that we're so single-minded that we can focus on our task, and we understand what matters. The good soldier is not looking around at what's happening in the world; is focused on this task. Next, Paul mentions the athlete. He says the athlete must have in. but let's play by the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Really, and I, I got this from John Piper, I think, I think what that he's talking about there is the athlete must compete with integrity. It was interesting, I, I share this all the time with my, my freshman level class at Texas A&M. If you look at marathons, historically, there are people who finish really high in a marathon, even win sometimes, who didn't run the whole race. They, in fact, there's, this, there's, there's one comp- competitor who's been caught many times doing this. They, they run and then veer off and somehow get to the end of the finish line. Even though they're not an elite runner, they win the race. Okay, this, is, this is an athlete who does not compete according to the rules. There's no integrity there. And as, as believers, we have to compete according to the rules. We can't, uh, we can't slip off do other things. We have to be focused on what is God, what are, the, what are the rules, what does God call me to do, what's right, what's, what's full of integrity here, because we have to be above reproach as we uh, minister in this kingdom, in God's kingdom. And finally Paul says, he uses the example of the, the farmer, and the farmers are hard-working, hard-working, we all know that, but farmers, if you think about farmers, they labor in obscurity, we never turn on the news and, and, and you get to the sports. They talk about the farmer who really worked hard that day. Now farmers do their work in obscurity, but they're okay with that. They're hardworking, and they receive, and they ought, he says, they ought to receive the first share of the crops. That's their reward. Interesting. These are things that we should ponder uh, as, we, as we think about um, the future. So if you look here, we see the soldier, athlete, and the farmer. There's a command and there's a promise. Again, this is from John Piper. Um, The command, the soldier not to be entangled, the promise in that scripture is, if you're not entangled in the world, you'll please God. That's the the promise that we get. The athlete, if you you compete according to the rules, the, the, the scripture says that you will be crowned. The farmer, if he, the hardworking farmer, if he works hard, will f- receive the first share of the harvest. So I think Paul here to Timothy, he's giving him some examples, and he's saying that these are, um, think about these things. In fact, that's what he, he follows up with. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, he's saying, there's, when it comes to being a good soldier for Christ, to be willing to share in the suffering, we have to, it has to be all-encompassing in our lives. We have to be focused, we have to have integrity, and we have to be willing to work hard if we're going to share in in the suffering and be part of uh, of God's kingdom. Now, verse 7. In verse 7, Paul finishes up this little admonition to, to Timothy, and he says this, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now it's very interesting here. Um, the first, the first word here is think. Why didn't he say, "Pray over everything I've said, and the Lord will give you understanding"? He didn't. He said, "Think." I think I, I'm of the belief, and in, in fact, someday we'll, we we might have to walk through it, that we we that God wants us to wrestle and think with those His His Word that we are to think about it hard. It doesn't mean we don't pray, we need to pray. And this is not, and this admonition from Paul here to think over what I say is not meant for us to be self-reliant. You just think about it and and you can do it yourself. Uh, But but Paul's asking us to think. And I think we as Christians don't spend enough time thinking about these things that we know. And this is what uh, Paul has told Timothy, you know, Keep, keep your hands around the, the, the things that I've told you. Um, you know, think about these things. Think about them. Uh, God will give you understanding. It says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So the pattern is, I, we read, we think hard, we pray. Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his, and from his mouth comes knowledge And understanding the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding so here Paul has told Timothy some hard things but he says think over what I what I what I say and now when he says over what I say I think we can we can really take that from from what we've we've even looked at uh, today is that Paul has, has told Timothy remember the things that I've told you so it's really everything think about everything I've told you and the God will give you understanding. So, if we're going to participate in this this great master plan of evangelism of this of reaching this world, that we need to be the soldiers who prepare by by reading, thinking about it, praying about it. That God would give us understanding. God would write these things on our hearts. You know, every time that uh, I used to be full in a full-time ministry a long time ago, and I remember before I would go meet with. Uh, a group or, or or give a talk or something, I'd always say, God, write what we're talking about on our hearts and not our heads. We tend to, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis said that the, the greatest distance in the world is the distance between your heart and your head. We are very knowledgeable, there's a lot of knowledgeable people in this room, we all need our knowledge to go down to our hearts because out of the heart, that's where our lives are changed. So Paul says, think over what I've said. Everything I've told you, Timothy, for the last 15 years that we've known each other through our missionary journeys, think about these things. And God will give you understanding in everything. Isn't that, shouldn't that be our prayer? That we would wrestle with God's truth, think about it, God would give us understanding, and then we can, in turn, act on that. It's a great message. Okay, well, what does this mean for each of us? So here I got, I've got five uh, kind of application points, and I hope that something you'll find, something that you can take and you can wrestle with, you can think about uh, and pray about, and your life will be changed. Number one, we can only f- fully participate in the making of disciples of all nations by the strengthening grace of God. Our first, our first task is to, is to submit ourselves to God and ask that the grace of God would be poured out on us and give us the strength that we need to participate in what God has already called us to do, which is the making uh, of disciples of all nations. Don't uh, forget that we need the grace of God. And what's exciting about it, God gave us this grace before creation. He knew we would come to this point, and so we need to be strengthened by the grace of God. Number two, Don't forget this. We are called to be discipled and to disciple others. We are called to be discipled and to disciple others. So we come to church. The purpose of coming to church is that we're refreshed, we're taught. You know, uh, historically we had the scriptures and we had the congregation and the pastor's job was to stand between the two and bring the two together. But we do that, it's like we come and we get a, a transfusion so that we are strengthened, and then we can leave here and begin to disciple others. Don't forget the the pattern that was laid out for us in Scripture today, that Jesus entrusted something to Paul, who entrusted it to Timothy, and Timothy is is called to entrust it to faithful men who then will teach others. Don't forget that you are part of that process. We all can play a role in 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 this pattern that God has given us. We are to identify, train, and support others who will faithfully carry out the Great Commission. That's our task. So we don't have to wander around and say, what should I be doing? This is exactly what we can be doing because this is what Jesus told us, what Paul told us. This 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 is our mission here on the earth today. Number three, the church is a place for rest, growth, and encouragement but that is not the end of the matter. We are to be equipped so that we can equip others. There's a tendency to think that church is for me. I go to church. I didn't meet my needs today. Oh, the church didn't meet my needs. I'm going to go to another church. But really, that's not what the church is at all. The church is the place where we come in. We worship. We, we consider the claims of Christ. We, we think about the things that we've been taught. We pray about them. We're challenged that we can go out and carry out this great commission. Um, we are to be equipped so that we can equip others. So this, so today is a day of equipping. Next Sunday is a day of equipping that we can then go out and do the work of the ministry. Um, so I can grow so that I might serve others. That's the mentality that we need to have. And we need to pray that God will take that mentality right down to our hearts and give us a heart for others. I'm going to be equipped this Sunday so I can equip others in the rest of my life, parts of my life. Number four, like the single-minded soldier, the athlete who competes with integrity, and the farmer who works with diligence, ask God to give you the grace and strength to suffer hardship for the gospel. I don't know what God's called to happen in your life. and We all kind of, God works individually with us. But what we need to do is to say, first of all, I'm willing to suffer uh, as a hardship for the gospel. Help me to do it like the soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer, like the evangelist that we read about later on in this book. So we need to to, uh, have a change of mindset. And our mindset is, I am willing, Lord, to do what you've called me to do in this life, no matter what it costs me. That's a big step. It's a big step for all of us. That's why we have to think about what he said, and we have to continually pray for God's grace. And number five, as Paul ended up this little section in 2 Timothy, think on these things. Let them be part of what you're thinking about throughout the week. Ask God to give you insight and application for your life. What does this mean for me? What is it, does it? What is it not? What it means for Todd or John or Dan or anybody else in this room? What does it mean for me? We're not all going to carry this or going to walk this out in the same way, but God will use each one of us as we as we say, "Yes, I am willing to be part of this process. I'm willing to to uh, um, be part of making disciples of all nations." I understand this this master plan of evangelism that 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 Paul talked about here, but. Um, give me insight. So God, give me the insight and the application for my own life. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words. They're hard words because they challenge us to do something that's uncomfortable, that may cause us hardship in our lives in any in, in many ways. But Lord, as Paul said in verse one, that, that we need to be strengthened by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I ask that you would pay, pour out your grace on each one of us, that you would work in our lives, that you would take this head knowledge and push it down to our hearts. That, Father, as our hearts are changed, as we see the, as the world in the way that you see the world, that, Lord, that we would, we would be willing to serve it. Father, bring people in our path who are faithful, who we can entrust our, ourselves to, who we can pour out our lives to, to begin we can be part of this multiplication process. So, Father, I pray for this next year as we start this new academic year in College Station, Texas, that Mercy Hill would be about making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. That's our task. So, Father, we pray that you would go before us. We are powerless on our own. We pray, Father, that you would open doors and make our path straight. In Jesus' name.